Good. Everyone, good. Welcome back to our Holy Thursday afternoon. And this afternoon, I'd just like to create for us the opportunity to reflect a little on the uh, meaning of the Eucharist uh, that we will celebrate this evening, the Mass of the Lord's Supper, and, uh, and then have our meditation time. We begin the uh, Eucharist this evening, or at least uh, during the, um, after the uh, Gospel reading, during the Mass, we will have the washing of the feet. Jean Vanier calls the washing of the feet the lost sacrament of Christianity. And he points out it's the only uh, action that Jesus performed before the Last Supper, or at the Last Supper, which uh, he says, of which he says, you must do this exactly as I have done it to you. And strangely enough, or maybe not so strangely, it's been forgotten that it is such a central element of the Eucharist, and it reveals the deeper meaning of the Eucharist and of the, and of the link between the Eucharist and the death of Jesus tomorrow on Good Friday and, of course, the ultimate meaning of the resurrection. So the first thing we might uh, just reflect on is the, is the place of the washing of the feet that Jesus tells us we should do as he did uh, in the uh, in, in the context of our understanding of the of the Eucharist, as a symbol of service. Not only a symbol of service, but actually a very revolutionary symbol of a turning around of hierarchy, as we conceive of it. Everything in life is hierarchical. Nature seems to be hierarchical. You know we. we have the sense of levels and grades and phases and so on. So it's the way our mind thinks, maybe it is indeed the way, in a sense, uh, nature is constructed. Um, but hierarchy has to be very carefully reconsidered in the light of the Gospel. And this passage from the Gospel of Mark is very relevant to that. They are on the road and the disciples are traveling with Jesus and two of them, James and John, uh, approach, approach him, it's okay, <laughs> approach um, Jesus and uh, take him aside and want to have a private word with him um, and they said, we'd like you to do us a favor. And what is it you want me to do for you, he asked. And they answered, allow us to sit with you in your glory when you get elected, uh, one at your right hand and the other at your left. So we'd like to be your chief of staff and your secretary of state or whatever. 
and uh, showing how little they understood what uh, his glory meant or what he was about. You do not understand what you are asking, he says. Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Yes, yes, we can. Yes, that's no problem. Um, and then, so he says, well, uh, maybe you will, but what you're asking is not something that I'm going to give or can give. When the other ten disciples, apostles, heard of this, they became very indignant. So we see politics, power, hierarchy easily creates power struggle and power struggle very quickly creates politics. Politics creates conflict. Conflict, if not managed properly, becomes violence. When the other ten heard this, they were indignant with James and John. They wished they had got in first, maybe. Jesus called them to him, and he said, You know that among the Gentiles, the recognized rulers lord it over their subjects, and the great make their authority felt. So this is how, this is how hierarchy works in, in the world, in, in, uh, in, in, in among the Gentiles. It works as of power coming down, and the lower you are down in the hierarchy, the more you will feel the heel of the person above you, because there will be a greater weight of power on top of you. It shall not be so with you. So the kind, of, the kind of kingdom that we are creating, he's saying, is not going to have that kind of power structure. Among you, whoever wants to be great must be your servant. So maybe you do want to have a position. Maybe you do feel you have talents you'd like to share or to develop. And, uh, but you have to lead or assume that higher position in terms of service rather than in terms of domination. You don't, if you want to be great, it's not so that you can be great. It's so that you can serve through your greatness or through the position that you have been given. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all, the servant of all. Because the Son of Man, me, myself, and he, he's the head of that hierarchy, he, I did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So in this little passage, we, we see, I think, the dynamic uh, of the gospel, the social and the personal transformation that is involved in that dynamic. And it's the dynamic that lies at the heart of the Eucharist that we celebrate this evening and of the mystery of his death that we reflect on tomorrow. The Eucharist is... Uh, looks very hierarchical in a way because you have a celebrant and in many traditions, most Christian traditions of some kind or other, 
you have to be specially appointed or trained or ordained to uh, perform that role of the celebrant. So it's, it's hierarchical. It isn't that hierarchy itself is wrong, it's just that it's dangerous. As soon as hierarchy stops being a way of service and becomes a way of power over or glory for oneself, then of course it becomes destructive. The way to prevent that happening is to flip it around. And that's what the washing of the feet is about. And that's why, as we all hear in the Gospel reading, Peter, who is sort of second in command uh, as the head of the apostles, Peter absolutely refuses to have his feet washed by Jesus, who is higher than him in the hierarchy. And Jesus is again very stern with him, as he usually is. And he says, well, if you don't... Um, if you won't let me wash your feet, you're out of it. You, you know, you go and look for another job. Because this is the way it is with us. And Peter succumbs. Maybe he doesn't understand yet, but at least he has the humility to, to say, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. I'll let you wash my feet. So if this little sacrament, the lost sacrament of Christianity, is embedded in the Eucharist to remind us that even though the Eucharist itself has a kind of a hierarchy with the priest and the and the you know the set up away from the people a little bit, that hierarchy is functional. It's not essential. And the washing of the feet, even though we only do it once a year, is a reminder that. Uh, we are all on the same level and we are washing each other's feet. So uh, this evening what we will do is we will uh, divide up into small groups, five I think, small little stations around the church and um, we will wash each other's feet and anyone who is there we, we hope will take part in it. Um, for some people, it's a little seems a little strange because normally they would think that it's the priest up on the altar who does this symbolic ritual uh, just to get it over with. So the priest does it all as usual, uh, washes the feet of I don't know the, whoever it is that he chooses from the parish. But the way we're doing it, the way Jean Vanier does it, is that we, we create these little circles. And uh, in, in quietly uh, take off our shoes and socks, and with the bowls of water and the, the towels, we wash each other's feet. And the people who really enjoy this are the altar service. <laughs> and uh, there are so look at them. I mean, uh, and see how much they're enjoying it. Uh, and then there are people, you know, who sitting there a little bit stiff and have, give them another 10 years and they might join in as well. But it's, no, it's not forced on anyone. If you don't want to do it, you don't have to do it. But uh, I think it is a beautiful physical, actual, tangible reminder 
of what the Eucharist is about, and indeed what the whole dynamic of the Gospel um, is about. It's the equality of that, the, the level playing field of that sacrament, in which there is no hierarchy, in fact. It's that which also gives us an insight into the, we could, we could call it the, the, the justice symbolism of the Eucharist. Um, what do we do in the Eucharist? We take, we take st staple, staple food, bread and wine. Symbolically, symbolic bread and symbolic wine in a way, but anyway, we take the bread and the wine, um, which has two aspects of it, the, the, the social and the mystical, but they are related to each other, just as we see these two aspects in the gospel itself and in the teaching of Jesus. There's the social gospel, but the social gospel cannot be really separated from the mystical gospel. So the Eucharist, the bread and wine, also has these two dimensions, the social and the mystical. The social reminds us of the justice of sharing equally, of an equal distribution of wealth. One of the things that is causing our global crisis at the moment um, and is being felt both at local levels and national levels and international levels, can, can very largely be linked to the increasing disparity between the rich and the poor. The world is getting richer, but the money, the wealth, is being held in fewer and fewer hands. So it's the, and that is creating a deep discontent in people. It's probably, an, there's quite a lot of study and an interesting book out recently called The Age of Anger, which uh, relates this disparity of wealth, this, this, this simmering anger and feeling of being left out, of a resentment that, that while all this wealth is being created, it's not being distributed fairly. But this is what lies behind our po the populism that we're seeing in politics today, the deep, angry uh, disillusionment with politicians, with bankers, with people in authority, with the hierarchy itself. So we elect uh, Donald Trump or we vote for Brexit, because of this frustrated anger at the injustice in which, which is affecting us all. We're seeing so care services in Britain and probably in Ireland as well, uh, breaking down the old people not having enough basic care for them. And we see obscene, uh, expressions of wealth and privilege and power in the hands of a few, rocketing uh, property values in central London, whereas where 
most ordinary couples are totally unable to even to get on the property ladder. So uh, there's a very good case for, for, for arguing that the phenomenon of populism, the dangers that that brings with it, making reckless decisions out of anger as a protest vote, but then what do you do with it? What do you do with Brexit? What do you do with a uh, president who doesn't, you know, he's not very well prepared for the job? Uh, you know, these are, these are critical times. So, what does the Eucharist say to that? Well, it's symbolism. But the symbolism is very beautiful and, and, and affirming. It says, there is so much to go around and we will share it equally. <coughs> and, you know, when, uh, you come, when people come up for communion, they don't say, could you give me three hosts, please? <laughs> or could I have an extra sip of the wine? You know, it's the equality of it that makes it, uh, that makes it um, able to create a community. Why we call it communion. It wouldn't be communion if some were getting more than others. If it was competitive. Competitive is the opposite of communion. So, it's a small ritual symbol, but it has tremendous power because of its mystical dimension. So, if it, would, if it didn't have this mystical dimension, it would, it would only have a sort of a minor psychological or cultural uh, statement to make. But with the mystical dimension, which is the real presence of Christ, however that is defined or understood, but he does say, do this in memory of me, and however you define the uh, Reformed churches would understand that differently from the, from the Catholic church or churches. Nevertheless, there is a, a common sense that in the Eucharist we are, s we are, we are um, remembering, not just historically, but bringing ourselves into the same presence as Christ is, is in. So we are becoming present to him, he is becoming present to us. So this act of remembering is not just looking back. It's about discovering what is in the presence, in the present moment. If, if we are remembering Jesus as, as he asks us to remember him, we are becoming present to him. And through this ritual, through this sacrament, we recognize that his, his presence is with us, as he tells us, until the end of time. So as long as we are in this r r dimension of time and space, his presence is there. The Eucharist is simply and 
mysteriously and wonderfully a, uh, a reminder of that, a catalyst and a constant reminder because we constantly and easily forget. We slip out of the present just as we get distracted in meditation. So, so there is two, two aspects to the, to the Eucharist. And finally, um, one of the, the key moments of the ritual in the Mass is the breaking of the host. When the two disciples on the road to Emmaus met Jesus but didn't recognize him, it was only after he had stayed with them for the evening meal and broken bread with them. And at that moment when he broke the bread, so a ritual moment in a meal, in a meal that their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And of course at that moment he vanished from their visual perception, their sight. So the breaking of the bread is a very... Um, powerful symbol of releasing our awareness of the presence of Christ. When you break something, I broke my head the other day, I walked into a, a door and uh, cut my hair, I do that at the beginning of every Holy Week. <laughs> um, so I have a, a gash on my head. So it's, it's healing now. But anyway, but when, you, when you break something, uh, it bleeds. If it's a deep enough cut. And uh, it, needs, it needs healing. Um, so the breaking of the bread seems to be a symbol of, of a wounding of, a, of a, f a breaking which releases the power of healing. And th this, is, this takes us into the deepest paradox of these next uh, three days, which is the paradox of death, which is the most powerful and worst uh, breaking, separation between us and life, us and other people, that this breaking of the bread actually awakens us and releases in us the power that makes us whole. There's the paradox that we enter into in every Mass. It's the power that we enter into in meditation and it's the meaning of Easter, in fact, of course. So just uh, keep, keep that in mind, maybe, uh, during the Mass this evening, at the, at the, just before we, or as we say the Lamb of God, and we break the bread, and it's, that seems almost counterintuitive. We're going to break this bread so that we can come into communion. Which... What does that mean to you and how does that symbol, sacred symbol, how does that touch you and open you to the power of communion?
and to the power of healing. Good. So let's um, take our time for meditation now. <coughs>